0: Local Point, episode 7, in which we are discussing ethics. Hang on to your hats, it's going to be a two-parter. So we have a lot to kind of talk about today. We've got a very full set of show notes. So we're going over the ethics and stuff with the street and documentary photography type stuff. And we have with us Aaron. Uh, Chelsea, do you want to go ahead and do the introduction and get it started?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Hello. Um, Welcome to episode seven, as David said. Um, And we have Aaron DeGuccio here. Um, Aaron is a documentary photographer, um, street photographer as well. Um, He comes from kind of a a similar aesthetic background as I do. So it's actually fun to have you aboard here today, Aaron. Um, And Aaron, if you wouldn't mind just giving like a little introduction about what you do um, and how people can find you.
2: Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so far, I am a uh, longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, I have been following your work, Chelsea, for quite some time, participating in some of your challenges as well, which helped give me a bit of a creative boost at a time, kind of in the thick of the pandemic, when I uh, when I really needed it. Uh, so yeah, as uh, as the warm welcome stated, my name is Aaron DeGruccio. I am a street photographer primarily. I have pivoted a few times. So my focus recently has been event photography professionally and just some low-key documentary stuff. I'm not doing much currently in the way of exhibiting it, uh, but I'm available on Instagram at Aaron DeGruccio and on Flickr as deGruccio. That's the one platform where I couldn't get my full name for some (laughs) reason. Uh, myself Myself and my partner, Liana, have also... Um, doubled up in the past year or so on event photography so event photography is something I started doing as well uh, probably 15 or 16 years ago now and um, my partner comes from a fine art background but we've discovered that our skill sets and our interests overlap uh, on event photography specifically Uh, things in the art community so music uh, art openings festivals exhibitions Uh, demonstrations as well as corporate events or anything documentary so right down the middle of uh, corporate North America as well as a bit of alternative subject matter on the fringe so the main focus with a camera anyway has been event photography I'm currently in one of my uh, many so far phases of reinventing what I do personally I had a website uh, erindegriccio.com that I'm currently sitting on the domain for Uh, It had an aging portfolio that wasn't really doing anything or telling my story currently. Uh, A lot of my life has been in flux, so I'm kind of rebuilding how to tell my current story uh, with a bit of a fresh start. Everything since has felt um, kind of fragmented, so I'm kind of corralling everything, doing a bunch of creative writing, and figuring out my next move. Uh, But broadly speaking, uh, my first last name is where to find me anywhere that I currently am. (laughs)
1: That makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? <laughs> Very good. Um, a little bit, yeah, yeah <laughs> I enjoy that um I enjoy that you're able to talk about you know, reinventing yourself as an artist because I think it's something that people get stuck on. They think that they have to identify who they are as an artist early on and stick with it, even if it's going against where they have moved to. So it's something I talk about a lot. Um, and it's good to see it in practice. So good on you.
2: Thank you.
0: Yeah, it is really nice to see because there's so many people get focused on what's my style. I need to find a style and they don't realize that it's style is something that develops and develops with you and continues to grow and change. So it's awesome that you're actually working to uh, let that develop instead of trying to kind of pigeonhole it into one thing.
2: Yeah. And I've fallen into the pigeonhole trap numerous times. I, I don't know how many times I've completely nuked my Instagram feed and thought, okay, I'm going to come at it with a certain theme, but then I don't stick to that <laughs> theme because I'm fickle and impulsive artistically. Um, I cannot pre-visualize a project and execute on a predetermined plan to save my life. Artistically, I need something to fall into place uh, deliberately or accidentally and respond to it immediately which is why I was originally drawn to street photography and centered a lot of my personal work around that I uh, you know I make the analogy that I can't paint but if you give me a scene I can create an image out of it the the world has to fall into place around me in a way that um, compels me to respond to it and that's kind of what I've been doing and I'll take a series of photographs or whatnot and think, okay, this is the plan. This is how it's going to look. This is how it's going to feel. And it's never the case to your point, David, uh, style isn't something you can predetermine unless you're manufacturing a product and, you know, Warhol would have a lot to say about that. And that's valid, but I can't do it. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it's wonderful for people who can curate a specific style, almost a brand and like get a million followers and a peak design deal. And that's all well and good. But, um, I, I just I can't do it. Every time I try to do anything but create an honest response, I fall into a hole. Uh, my Instagram feed is currently six images because I just got tired of making something I felt was meaningful to me, uploading, you know, one megapixel to everyone's phone, getting five likes and moving along. I have more of a story to tell them that that's not the format for it. Uh, I'm on there for contact purposes, but some of my favorite photographers and most highly regarded artists Uh, that I follow and look up to have 200 followers and their whole feed is cell phone shots of their vacations and record collection and beer and cat. And that's just, (laughs) that's just kind of whatever. The social media grind, I think has baked into everyone's head that they need a film recipe and an aesthetic and a Lightroom plugin to just churn out this certain look. Um, Style is almost an illusion. If you think about it too much, it goes away. What? Counts and what sticks is telling a story, and a style emerges from the method that you do that with. It just kind of becomes intrinsic, and predetermining it kind of leads you down the path of creating a product, and that's all well and good, but i I can't. <laughs> it just doesn't compute that way for me,
1: yeah, I mean, I can speak this is way off topic of what we're talking about today, but um I can speak to to that as well, like. I had a time um, years ago when I was uh, traveling full-time the first time um, where I kind of, I got a little bit of a following and it kind of, I don't want to say it went to my head because I wasn't like egotistical about it, but it made me feel like, well, now I have to produce what these people are expecting me to produce and I fell into that hole of I never got a Peak Design deal, though. Like, what the hell, guys? I could have used some Peak Design stuff. I shoot Fuji. Like, what the f***? Um, but yeah, anyway, I um, but I did fall into that hole. I shoot, I shoot
2: Rico. I gave up Fuji for Rico. I'm even cooler and more oh, niche and damn, more abstract. you,
1: out of the club and everything. You and Jeff. Goes in, going, my, goes in <laughs> my pocket, then oh, Doing
2: gosh. Jeff. Jeff's yeah. doing me. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I adore Jeff. He's wonderful. <laughs> He's gonna hear this.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: Hi, Jeff.
2: Love you.
0: See you, you in Chicago next Jeff. year. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, I mean, when you fall into that, uh, it does a number on a person's artistic expression. I I had never been so. Uh, I I struggle to say the correct word because it it, it could be like taken to be more intense than it was. But I was sitting there in like beautiful locations and just stressing over it and like not enjoying it. And then watching like counts and all this stuff. And I it just took all the fun out of it. So I, you know, by clearing all of that out, which I eventually did one day, I just cleared it all out. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to shoot what I like to shoot. And I don't care. And, you know, I feel like I have my own style, my own uh, aesthetic. That's transformed and, and it continues to evolve and so on. And I, now I just don't even think about it. I don't think about what other people are looking. My last photo is an iPhone photo. The last photo I put up because right now I, as everyone has heard in podcasts, I left my camera in New York and I'm really far from New York. So.
2: <laughs> wow. Well, uh, but I mean, by any means necessary making is, I mean, it's, it's trite by now to say, you know, the best camera is the one that's with you. Yeah. Um, but I bought that book 13 years ago. So I mean it. Like the capability to make an image instead of not make one is what counts. That's what separates like physically, literally doing from not doing. It doesn't matter what you do it with. It's great if you do it with the tool that you need and the most ideal tool for the results you want to generate. But uh, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Just do the thing instead of making an excuse as to why you can't really just do the thing.
1: Just do the thing. And I think that's actually a nice segue because today we're talking about well, we're talking about street photography in general, documentary photography, and the ethics that come along with it. So when we say just do it, do the thing, can we say just do it without getting sued by Nike? Anyone? we have just lawyers on
2: Just don't not do it. Um, so when you, well, now you just the, do quiet the thing. part out
1: loud. Just um, do the thing. When we talk about that, there's obviously some nuance to that, right? I mean, we can say just do the thing, but then we run into potential ethical um, problems that that I guess everybody's ethics and morals differ from one another. But there's there's room to talk about that a little bit. Right. So let's let's do that. I think we can transition into that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking about street photography and documentary photography, um, Aaron, what are some of the challenges that a photographer might be presented with both ethically and morale in. Their morality, that's not the right verbiage there, but you know what I'm, I'm asking here, yes?
2: It, it kind of is. It, it definitely, it, uh, you know, your, your meaning comes through. First and foremost, I mean, there's so much to street photography that builds up to even using your camera. When I first started with street photography, I decided to explore the genre, A, because I'd been exposed to it through some museum displays, online books, Uh, And magazines that display very honest, um, truth-telling images, or or narrative-creating images, I should say. Um, And this, to me, felt more impactful and more artistically significant, um, and just more visually impactful than something from another genre. Like, as much respect as I have for the fine art world, for example, it doesn't speak to me as much as just an honest interpretation of a public scene, or an event, or... Something worth happening or worth documenting that's happening in, you know, quote unquote real life. So I, in 2018, moved to Seattle, Washington, which is one of my favorite places. I started up um, basically dipping my toe into street photography in Seattle because I thought I'm in this humongous, beautiful, dynamic city. It it felt kind of like the center of the world in a number of ways, like New York, San Francisco, London, Uh, Seattle had that impact for me. And so I thought, okay, I would love to just absorb the city here. I'd love to absorb the streets. I love a big city. I love a human zoo. The noise, the chaos, just the sensory overload is where I feel the most calm. And I feel like I can develop the most mental focus. So I thought, okay, I'm going to hit the streets here and use my camera. And I'm going to find these scenes. And I'm going to tell myself all these things that ended up not being... True in the sense that I thought they would be. There is an enormous amount of self-consciousness that comes up. So before taking a photograph, before worrying about interactions on the street or rapport or imagery or confrontations, I can walk down the street any day of the week wearing anything, doing anything, thinking anything, and not really feeling like I stand out. I'm just kind of anonymous. I'm just kind of a guy in the city right now. And that's how everyone is. We're all there together. Uh, kind of having our own individual experiences like that. But when I pull out a camera and I know I have an intention to photograph people or scenes that might involve people, there is this immediate sense that I am taking up just this ballooning amount of space that I am visible, that I am critiqued, that I am going to be judged or misunderstood or misrepresented or confronted. So even putting a camera up to my eye and pointing it at strangers in an unstructured environment brings about the mental blockages and self-consciousness, self-consciousness rather, and doubts that have to be overcome before you can even put your mind in the right place to make the images you want. You know, you can sneak through a scene and kind of have your camera hidden away close to your chest and fire from the hip and hope you get something. And sometimes you do get something visually interesting, but you know, and you can't fool yourself about the fact that it doesn't mean anything. I did not do this with intention. So before anything, creating a link between your confidence, your vision, and your intention, uh, I found to be the biggest hurdle. Um, I don't know how people in public are going to react. I don't know if they're going to gasp and clutch their pearls at the guy with the camera. But, you know, but then again, this is my subjective experience. When I walk through the streets and I see some of the absolutely absurd things that just happened downtown Seattle, some of the characters if anything, you see that no yeah, one backed an who's going to look at me? <laughs> oh, but people are going to look at me because it's me and I'm different and I'm going to stick out. No, I'm not, but that is something I need to work through every time I go out. It gets easier every time, but it does not go away. It's like stage fright.
1: 100%, I think that's actually a nice like way to reframe it for people because that is one of the biggest challenges and you see people always asking, "Well, how do you do it without worrying about what everyone's thinking?" And it's if you reframe it in that way where it's like, "Well, do you pay attention to what everybody is doing? Like, do you care, like, what everyone is doing? And and there are people out there doing, like you said, maybe outlandish things in the streets. And who's paying attention to them? Like, nobody.
2: It's true. And on the other hand, there are, again, you know, some absurd things that happen in a, like, bustling city core. Sure. And there are plenty of things that will happen that I will be the guy who stops and stares at it. And I will... Very openly stand on the street corner with my eyebrow cocked and just stare at something that's happening. And the other end of this is the person I'm staring at, they don't care that I'm doing that either.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: You know, if someone is ranting and raving downtown or they have a megaphone on a street corner or they are pushing a shopping cart full of conspiracy signs, I'm going to stop and stare at that. And they don't care. Maybe they want it. but They
1: want it. Yeah. they want it there that's why yeah. they're holding the sign yeah exactly and
2: and so the the instances where i've been able to compose an image with intention i've very very seldom gotten uh pushback or even acknowledgement the first time you raise your camera to your face very conspicuously very intently you stand there and think i'm going to take up whatever space i take up it's my space to use i'm going to capture this moment no one cares it yeah. does not step on anyone's toes in the least If it does, either we have an ethical discussion to have then, or you've encountered an individual who wants a problem with you in the first place. It's case by case, but it is freeing to realize that, you know, nobody cares.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a that's a big one. I mean, when you're in these larger cities, too, it's I think it's easy to put yourself in that mind like the city I'm in right now is 20 million people and. I'm one person amongst thousands on literally every street I'm on. Like, how is my tiny space, like, comparatively going to affect everybody else's day? I mean, it's an insignificance thing that that you kind of put yourself into that mindset and not in a negative way. But it's, I'm one person, I'm one speck of time in, in this huge I think it also helps being in like ancient cities, I think, because you start to think about, well, wow, this the city's been a functional city for thousands and thousands of years, and I'm here now at this like exact moment that is going to be thousands and thousands of years in the past in year, you know, so it, it's easy if yeah. you kind of think about the world like in a more global scale. It really does help to get yourself into the right mind frame for for that specifically. Um I do want to kind of talk on that a little bit though, because uh, when we get into those situations, where is the the ethical line of is this something I shouldn't be photographing? How do how do you um, approach that?
2: That is a sticky one at times because I don't think there's a blanket answer to this. Uh, we've collectively decided as a society, roughly. What uh, our shared set of ethics are, and this is shown just through our, you know, instinctive social conduct amongst each other. Uh, You know, those of us who have a knack for bureaucracy have taken our collective ethical uh, compass and translated it into our laws, for example, municipal or state or provincial or whatever caliber of law. But what's right or wrong is kind of sticky. and. I kind of predicate this on the idea of actually an idea that I got from stand up comedy. Um, comedy can be hilarious and lighthearted and anecdotal about your job or your spouse or whatever, but a lot of the most effective stand up comedy and the stuff that sticks out to me and means a lot to me, uh, Carlin Pryor, um, Lenny Bruce, are the ones who shock and offend. Now, they don't do it just to shock and offend. But they punch up, and this is a huge uh, nexus of morality for me. You can make lewd remarks or vicious criticisms or throw insults or critiques, but it always has to punch up. You should always be um, speaking out against the oppressor or the establishment that oppresses others. Um, And siding with the oppressed saying things that bolster the position of people who maybe don't have as much of a voice. I translate this to street photography insofar as I will always respect an individual's personal space and an individual's agency. If there is a situation or a person or a group that is acting to diminish the agency of others, it's fair game. Um, there are some people downtown Seattle who will, um, stand on the street corner or on the waterfront and proselytize, which it's a public space. They're more than free to do so, but they will perhaps do so in a condescending way at best, maybe a threatening manner, which is easily walked past. Uh, and some of the more insidious ones will try to swindle. People will try to, um, extract money for someone for a, Tract or a uh, beaded bracelet, and impose a sense of guilt in order to extract money. These people are fair game. I photographed these people in some of these interactions before. They put their hands up and said, "No pictures, please." Well, you are currently acting to take advantage of another. I will shine a spotlight on you. Now, in the same regard that I think it is um, ethically permissible, and occasionally uh, an ethical obligation to shine a light on injustice and punch upward. If I am in a privileged position and I have subject matter in front of me that is experiencing more vulnerability than me, it could be seen as exploitative. um, And this is the counterpoint to punching up. It could be punching down to try to make imagery for my own selfish benefit That doesn't then also benefit the individual or community that I'm photographing.
0: And that's a really good way to look at it. Um, like what I've typically done is just kind of avoid people who avoid the camera. You see, you're walking down, someone put the camera up and they kind of turn their face, put their hand up or something. It's like, okay, put it down. They don't want their picture, but looking at it with those deeper themes really does bring out a better context for when to take those pictures and when to give people their personal space, let them have that space and avoidance.
2: Yeah. And it's, um, Again, I think important, are you telling a story to benefit uh, the individual or to benefit an overall narrative that could cost some good? Um, is your, Not all stories are worth telling, quite frankly. Um, another kind of more innocuous example is I won't photograph a street performer or busker unless I tip them. Mm-hmm. They are spending their time, money, and efforts to gain an income that's not guaranteed. It's based on tips and generosity. And if I am going to create an image that I find to be meaningful or impactful or I'm just vain and I like how it looks, which is valid, I am going to compensate that person for the benefit that they have given me that they had no say in giving me Um, in the same regard that to your point, David, you know, if. There's someone who is avoiding the camera deliberately. There's someone walking down the street. I love the scene. I love the look. I love the story that's occurring in my mind. Or maybe just the lights cutting right. And I raise my camera. I may be well within my legal rights to photograph in public. But if someone looks distressed or they look to avoid me or they put a hand up and duck out of the way, I'm not going to then impose my desire to tell a story on that person. I'm not going to attempt to take away their agency in that situation, even if I technically could, because that then equates to punching down. That person has a complicated life, just like me. I don't always want to be out or be seen, and that's okay. Not all stories are worth telling. Uh, In fact, taking photographs and publishing them uh, without a sense of empathy kind of tells on yourself.
1: 100%. Yeah.
2: What are you out there? What are you out there taking from people to take your images, or are you giving?
1: The lack of empathy part um, comes up a lot in discussions about this, and it's it's always um, in the lens of the American legal system because the internet's America, right? Um, But people are always (laughs) like, "Well, they're in public, so they have no reasonable right to privacy." Which legally, I mean, yeah, but. At what point do you not empathize with another person? Have you never been out after receiving bad news because you have to get home or you have to buy a sandwich or you have to go to the drugstore? And how would you feel if you were, you know, sitting on the subway crying because you just lost your job, you lost your dog? You know, there's a lot of reasons that people have hardship in their lives. Does it make sense to to make someone who's having a hard time have even harder of a time? the lack of empathy there is, is for me, um, the most distressing thing. And as a street photographer, it does nothing to help the craft at all. It, it just makes people more skeptical and more angry at people with cameras. And why would we want that? Like, so if you're gonna, if you're gonna approach it from a selfish way, You're not helping yourself. You're not helping the community. And if you want to do it from an empathetic way, you're making somebody's day worse. So
2: it's true. And I also approach I approach the concept of empathy from the other direction. In a sense, I always want to do good in the world. I want to leave it a better place than I found it. I'm not always in a position to. I am one person. There are dozens of social injustices I wish I could just delete from the world. Uh, I mean, I have a moral compass. I turn on the news. I I have an inkling as to what I want to stop, but I can't always affect positive change. So I form my ethical basis around harm reduction. If I can't benefit a situation, how can I at least not damage it? How can I reduce harm? How can I avoid causing someone harm? And to your point, Chelsea, if someone's on the subway in obvious distress, maybe they just lost someone close to them or their job or their life has taken an unexpected downward turn. I can't... Fix that person's problems, but I can consciously elect to not add to them, and that is the right thing to do in any case. Harm reduction is—I'm not so naive to think that I I can fix everything or can prevent harm in general. But how do I add as little of it to the world as possible?
1: Absolutely, I I love that. I mean, I have—you know—we all have things that have happened in our lives. I had a a pretty traumatic thing. I lost my little sister. um, She was 18 in 2016, and I was living in Paris at the time. And I had to get myself from Paris to the United States in like a complete state of disassociation and just complete trauma. And I had a really bad time at the airport, I'll tell you that. And um, yeah, there, there were people that I remember now because some of them were just so terrible to me, and then some of them were just so empathetic to me. And it it just, whenever I'm in a situation where I'm around people that maybe seem like they're having a bad time, I think about the people that were very good to me, either because they let me be (laughs) this disassociated, complete mess, or because they saw that I was in distress and let me go ahead of them in the security line, for example, Um, you know, I think about that moment and I think about how I was and and how can I be like the people that made my day better? Is it as simple as letting someone go ahead of me? Is it as simple as just getting out of their way? You know, um,
2: Yeah, it might also be as simple as someone who reacts to you poorly, say, uh, you know, you're ordering coffee and someone's rude to you. You can elect to snap back at them or you can elect to not let it impact mm -hmm. you because you're going to get on with your day anyway. Maybe they just lost someone and they had to show up to work. Mm hmm. You don't know they're having a complex life, and if it's so much more, it takes practice. But it is important to assume positive intent. Everyone's got a complicated life. You've been uh, you've been sharp. You've been sharp an to people before. Me too. Shut up. Uh, oh my god! Shit, I, just told I heard
1: you say earlier something. Honestly. Uh, I knew it. I heard you say something earlier, I and I was like, "That's an Apple phrase." And then you said that, so now your cover is blown, man.
2: I, I will broadly tell you. I will unabashedly <laughs> say that you can think what you want about Apple's products, uh, software, hardware, Learned ethics, a lot from finances. The
0: it's true.
2: Apple is absolutely flawlessly expert at training you on interpersonal interactions. hundred percent. And it's—I'm pulling this from a corporate handbook. I'm so sorry. Uh, my inner anarchist is rolling in its grave. But <laughs> yep. truly, assuming positive intent is huge because if. You know, Chelsea, if we're talking and you're short with me, if you snap at me, what's the simplest solution here? Are you going out of your way to make me miserable or are you responding to something in your life that I'm unaware of? It benefits everyone for me to go. I, I don't know what's going on in Chelsea's life. Right. Um. And I'm not supposed to know. And I don't have to know. I will lead with kindness because that puts me on the uh, moral upper hand and allows others a chance to rise to that instead of me coming down to some degree of of vindictiveness or pettiness or whatever. Um, I think an amazing example of this is Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Mm -hmm. Um, He is a manifestation of clinical depression. He is chronically depressed. His friends don't try to minimize his plight. They don't try to fix him. They don't tell him to cheer up or suck it up. They're just kind of there, and they let him have his feelings and sit in it, and he comes to them. That is conceptually so simple to do, but it does require constant practice because we're all very selfish back to the photography discussion. I want to make the image. It's great. I'm allowed to make it. Well, herein lies the, um, the flux between can and should, uh, avoiding those who avoid the camera is a really good dynamic. Uh, personal space is another important one. I mean, it's simply respected. If you can, if you're shoulders deep in a protest or a concert, well, everyone kind of has the same personal space expectations, But is it right to go out of your way to get in someone's face to occupy space that they didn't give you? And I'm I mean, I don't necessarily have an answer for that because it is all context based. Is there someone on a street corner busking or panhandling? And it's probably respectful to stay out of their way. Or is there someone on a street corner harassing people with um, something phobic rhetoric uh, is that a person who is invading other people's space? So I'm going to tell that story right now and they don't have to like it because they're not respecting other people's space. And that's not tit for tat. That's not eye for an eye. That's the amount of space that person is taking up for others. They should have no expectation that they get their own space too. So
1: let's take that. I, Cause I, I, I think that's a good launching off point for, a little bit of a deeper conversation, maybe just a quick touch upon, because it is a big conversation, but about vulnerability and about people, vulnerable persons, maybe people who are experiencing houselessness, children, um, people in minority communities. Um, How do we do the no harm and tell the story? Do we... Do we make the assumption for them that they want their story told? Or do we approach and, and engage in conversation? What, How do you go about handling these more sensitive situations?
2: Uh, well, something like um, privilege is a spectrum. I have more than many and less than some. And if I perceive myself to have more than... An individual or a community and I feel compelled to make that image why do I want to make it can I approach those people and develop a rapport that clearly explains to them why I want to document them and form an empathetic relationship first if I can't I have no business trying to make those images they're not my story to tell if I have kind of the implicit it's kind of I mean what's a good analogy here um I'm immediately going to Jane Goodall and the Chimps, which is a bit of a sidetrack, but this is a community that accepted someone from very clearly outside its bounds. And that comes with certain social um, permissions and expectations. If I want to tell the story of someone more vulnerable than me, they should want to have their story told. The question about vulnerability in street and documentary photography is it's overarching and complicated and again the broad theme that I'll apply is empathy, do I have rapport with the subject or community, punching down versus punching up, harm reduction. Um these themes carry throughout uh this whole theme uh, with regards to vulnerability specifically. This is something I'd love to address uh in part 2 because I know the three of us can get really into the weeds yeah, about Yeah, this that one. part I think
0: just looking at the show notes we wrote up, it's it's going to be in depth and it's worth its own episode. <laughs> so Part of it talking with this vulnerability is also with people's reactions to that, whether or not we're talking about someone who's in a vulnerable position or just out on the street, someone who doesn't want their uh, picture taken is the confrontation that occasionally comes up from it. It's not something I've personally experienced much of, uh, but I know it does happen. So have you ever had to deal with a confrontation of people just not wanting you there at all or them going out of their way to try to get you to stop taking pictures
2: i have occasionally not nearly as much as my initial apprehensions and like socially anxious fears uh would have me believe but it does happen and it's the anticipation of it is so much worse than the occasion because if i'm at a point where i'm photographing consciously and with intention I can back up the images I'm making with some kind of explanation or justification. Not excuses or lies necessarily, but I will occasionally photograph someone and I've just got a bad read on the scene. It happens all the time. Someone who just really does not want to be in front of a camera at that time. It's a quick, hey, I'm just taking photos on the street. Really sorry, I'm happy to delete it. And that's not something I have to do, but again, I'm kind of going with a I'm a humanist before I'm a photographer. Everything's predicated on that. So um, some people will react with like apprehension or curiosity. I'm happy to show them my camera LCD uh, and say, hey, I'm just out here. You fit into this scene here. Have a look that has in the past parlayed into a handshake and a follow. And I'll send them a copy just as thanks for the understanding. And as a thanks for the interaction, Um, it's impossible to not insert myself into a scene by virtue of the fact that I'm photographing on the street, I'm there and my presence does take up space. So I'm always going to go with what is right in that case. Now, I have gotten a camera in the face of um, police officers, not aggressively or counter protesters or people who aggressively and exploitatively proselytize. Um, Sorry, uh, again, it's not vindictive or anything, but if you are actively taking advantage of people or actively causing distress in the public space, I'm going to shine a light on that as best I can. Because yeah, that seems a lot like that's the kind of a point and, 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 of and, and, the and documentary the, photography yeah, style. It is, yeah. And if I'm out creating things for my own like personal satisfaction, that's different than uh, you know a photographer who finds themselves at a h- historically significant crux. And that that's never known, like which photographs are historically significant, isn't really ever known uh, well, until the history is written, until the photographs are published or the books are out and there's some hindsight on the situation. Um, you know, I remember hearing in an interview, Joel Meyerowitz, uh, after 9-11, he showed up to the scene uh, not long after with his um, camera to his eye and he was told by the police, hey, this is an active scene, you're not allowed to photograph here. And you know, I I suppose true to Meyerowitz's ethos, he got a few photographs of the firefighters of the wreckage right from the sidewalk, and that has shaped our impression uh, of one of the most significant historical events of our time. So again, I think this comes from the idea of punching up. Am I standing up to something, or am I taking advantage of something? I'm always going to try to side. On the right side of history there, Um, circling back to the actual question, if someone just doesn't want to be in front of my camera, that's cool. I have a thousand other images I'm going to make that day. Um, And when it comes to diffusing a situation, again, it's open communication. I'm not the sneaky guy with my camera in my pocket. I'm standing there. It's obvious I'm taking photographs and I can back up what I'm doing with words and a handshake. Hey, here's what I'm doing. If I present myself confidently and openly admit, hey, you were in my scene. I really loved it. Do you want to have a look? That always 100% of the time lowers the temperature on a situation than uh, nothing. Well, no, it's something. Just be upfront about what the something is. Most people are fine with this. If someone wants their privacy and gets confrontational about it, I'm lowering the temperature right away. Sorry, man. I'll hit delete. Have a good day. There's a million street corners, man. There's a million photographs I can take that person. That's by virtue of the interaction. It's not a story I want to tell at that point. Anyway, that doesn't add at all to my narrative.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people get in the weeds a little bit about their art. That's with the TM, by the way, their (laughs) art. Um, Mm -hmm. And they don't take the moment to to. This is what we were talking about before with having some empathy for the person in the art tm um but like you said (laughs) if if a person approaches you and says well i don't want you to have that photo is it worth a is it worth your mental capacity your mental energy to argue that when you can simply okay delete go make something new you know there's always a thousand photos that you can take so yeah. is this photo like is it going to win you the Nobel Peace Prize or um, the Pulitzer or is it going to launch you to fame and wealth? <laughs> I mean, what is your goal? Right. Like if your goal is telling a story that inspired you or interested you, you know, it. there are other stories that will be right around yeah, the corner.
2: Absolutely. And the photographers who you know get a little bit brash and hide beside you know hide behind but my art mm-hmm. tm
1: tm <laughs> i
2: will stand tm but 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 my art with the stuttering butt <laughs> ahead of it i will stand i will stand on my six instagram posts and 12 likes and say and who are you <laughs> and who are you <laughs> who are, no really <laughs> really but your art cool who are yeah. you yeah and tell that's more, that's yeah. not an accusation yeah that is a genuine question tell me who you are and what you're doing what's it for Stand behind it with your words and with your capacity to explain yourself and your capacity to justify your art. Because if it's Mm -hmm. your art, great. What story are you telling? How significant is this? Prove me wrong. Please prove me wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, hubris is the killer, right? And if we don't check ourselves every once in a while having someone else check you in that way is, is good for us as people a, but definitely as artists a hundred percent, we need to be checked, self-checked other person checked. It's, it's part of the whole game.
2: And there are exceptions to everything. There are, I mean, if you're going to be the, my art TM guy and you're super brash and you don't care about personal boundaries, Mm -hmm. You're not Bruce Gilden. (laughs) Bruce Gilden is Bruce Uh, Gilden. And no one knows how he became on my
1: show. I had to.
2: (laughs) Well, you're a street photographer from New York. I had to, and you know what? I love and hate the guy because what he's doing shouldn't work, but it does. And it doesn't, I'm not going to get into the weeds about that one, but if you're that, my art guy and you're being invasive, you know what? You're not Bruce. And the humility comes in with, and you're probably never going to be. And the humility also comes in with, and you don't have to be. And you yeah. don't have to be.
1: Yeah. Why can't Just we be you. Diane Arbus? Why do we have to be Bruce Gilden anyway? Can't we be Diane Arbus? Can't we? Like, <laughs>
2: I'm sorry, I have yeah, a lot of feelings I mean,
1: about Bruce Gilden.
2: <laughs> as I mean, but here's the thing: you have a lot of feelings about Which him. Is good. good. Yeah. He's working. Yeah. He's, he's succeeding what he at what, whatever.
1: Yeah.
2: He's generating conversation. The two best ways to get someone's attention is to make them laugh or make them angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amuse me or piss me off. You got. You've. Got me to give you my attention or you've wrenched it from my cold dead hands, but you got it and there's merit to that William Eggleston photographed gas stations and bicycles and his stuff is as impactful for a completely different set of reasons. 100%.
1: 100%. I mean, you just go to R-analog and you'll see how much of an influence
2: that Yeah. But I think the best thing to do is I, I've developed a really good strategy where I don't go to R-analog. Oh,
1: good. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: R-analog circle jerk is the, is the where to be but, anyway. But you're missing all the pictures of gas stations at night now.
2: I am. But the, but the upshot to that, the benefit to that is I'm missing all the pictures of gas stations at night. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: what about the and cinestill
2: so- when
1: will you ever see Sinestil <laughs> then
2: you had to bring up Cinesil on my podcast,
1: Chelsea. <laughs> a, my podcast, check yourself,
2: and B, I, 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 uh, un- I unfollowed our Analog for the same reason I'm about to unfollow R Fuji and R Rico because I'm no. sick and tired of hearing the word film recipes. Just go out with a camera, be a person, and just be a person.
1: Uh, just be a person, man. It's not that hard. And, and this, we have to do it every day it, anyway. This yeah. does kind
2: of- but you're not Gildan <laughs> and you don't have
0: to. You know. To get back into the topic a little bit, but, it kind of Gets into yeah. usage of the photos and how that impacts yes. the ethics oh, yeah, of it. Oh yeah, good
1: point. Okay, are
0: we just Yeah,
1: circle back? Look at you. I, I, good, good, job. I, I'm
0: pretending like I'm good at this. <laughs> but are we using it just to post on Instagram or Reddit or Facebook and get all the likes, or is it an art display at a gallery that's telling some side of a story? Is it actual documentary with either like a blog or for a newspaper or something like that. And how does that affect what it is you're taking?
2: Yeah. Um, in the, I mean, like you mentioned, Chelsea, so much about can versus should is based around us copyright law or, you know, the American legal systems definition of public versus private space. And I mean, so much of the internet just centers around that. Just, I don't know. American culture is globally pervasive. This varies. This differs, Definitely know the laws. I mean, completely away from artistic intention, know what you can and can't do, Uh, know the rules and know the ethics and when to fall and when to maybe skirt those for whatever purpose. It's so contextually sensitive. Um, If you're selling a photograph, there are obviously far different and more stringent, I guess, implications than simply displaying it online or displaying it in a gallery. Know the laws. Obviously, stay within them. Um, Don't be a jerk. And other than that, I think everything is permitted. I was um, taught a long time ago by the guy who taught me photography, my mentor. His definition of an artist was dead simple. It was that it is an artist's job to respond to the world around them. Hmm. That's it. By that virtue, everyone's an artist. Everyone lives in their environment, is impacted by it, and has something to say about it because you can't not. How you choose to say it with a camera, with writing, music, painting, um, or whether you choose to say it at all is irrelevant. We all have that instinct. If you choose to respond to it photographically and you choose to display it, how and why is huge. I don't always know why I want to take a photograph in the moment, but I, I develop a lot of context in retrospect. Is it right to display it? Uh, and if it is, and I feel compelled to and have an avenue to do so, then great, Um, But the ethical concerns with punching up versus punching down and harm reduction apply after the photograph is taken too. you. The beginning of a photograph is just that pull in your mind to make it. And the journey of the image doesn't end until it's displayed, until it's done being looked at. Some images made hundreds of years ago are still on their journey because they impact every generation uh, of viewer differently. And you can never know what that impact is going to be or how long it's going to last. All you can do is the right thing to do at the time with the information you have at the time. Um, And just follow. I just follow, you know, personally, my ethical baselines. I've talked about a few times here with regards to that selling and displaying uh, is no different than do I take it or not.
1: So let me go off of that, and I'm I'm going to ask you your opinion. I'm going to give you a little bit of a scenario here. Um, this is a true story. I not it's not like a story, but I had a picture, a uh, photo that I um, that I took that um, you guys have probably seen. It's of Paris um, from Parc de Bouchement uh, looking over Sacre Coeur, and. Um, it's a it's a pretty picture it's a like a travel photo um <laughs> that's that's what i got for you on there but it made its rounds and one of the stops it took along the way was R the donald back in the day and um it was used to talk about no-go zones and how paris is a whole and it's a, a dangerous place in the world and all these things that that one person said in the title of the post and everyone continued to pile on upon. And it was hard for me at the time, because this was like in 2017 maybe. um, And I was newly sharing my work. I hadn't really shared much prior to that. And I, I really struggled with intent versus interpretation here because my intent was look at this beautiful place in the world that I love and, and I have admiration for and it was being used for racism and hatred and everything that I try every single day in my life to build away from. Um, it has nothing to do with me. It hasn't, you know. So I, and, and it's something I struggle with as an artist because work should stand on its own. You, you know, you can't control how people interpret your work. Um, you can be a critical consumer of media and. Um, hope that everyone else is also a critical consumer of media (laughs) but i think we know that they're not (laughs) um so where is that where where do artists where do street photographers who maybe took a photo with a specific intent where is their responsibility or not even responsibility but maybe where what is their right In telling people that, no, 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 this this photo isn't about no go zones. This is about a beautiful sunset with some birds in it. Like, how do you how do you approach the intent versus interpretation side of this?
2: Yeah, that's sticky because once a photograph is out in the world, it is your creation. But it's also kind of everyone's image. You know, whether or not we want to be art is very it's there for everyone. Whether you're producing or consuming it and you don't have any say in the path that Im- that image is going to take, how it's going to be used or misused or interpreted or how long it's going to have an impact for. Um, ideally, as photographers, yes, you want a photograph to tell a story on its own and many do. But I think we need to. Here's one I struggled with recently and why I've hit a block with making images recently. This is kind of one for me to get over. I really want my images to stand on their own because they're important to me and they're beautiful and I'm an artist and you should just know what I mean. Well, that's (laughs) pretty arrogant. I think images are strengthened and clarified when they're backed up with a written word. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at, you know, art or documentary or journalism or streets, there is maybe an artist statement, a caption, a headline, a byline, an article to accompany it. Um, And I think that's all you can do is add context with the written or spoken word but use your language um to um accompany and bolster uh your photographs Uh, i think imagery and words work in tandem to tell a more comprehensive story than either could on their own and i think that goes a long way towards aligning a photographer's intent with the broader audience interpretation um, as I kind of mentioned, you know sometimes I, I never premeditate images. I just my brain doesn't work that way. I have to have something in front of me to respond to, and I'll make images instinctively, and I will only parse uh, my gut feeling about the image in the moment into a cohesive thought later on after I've processed the why I took it in the first place um and I think it's important work for photographers to do, like you know begrudgingly sit down at your keyboard or pick up a pen uh or partner with someone um who is adept at translating thoughts into words and actually come up with a statement for your images. That's not to say like write a five paragraph statement in the caption of all your Instagram images, but (laughs) understand your own intention, back it up with words. And if you had to post on, you know, are the Donald with like, Hey, I'm the photographer of this. Here's where I was. Here's why I did it. Here's the context. The audience can take it and do what they want with it. They can absorb it, change their mind, which doesn't happen in some communities as often as I'd like. <laughs> uh, or they can take it and use it against you, neglect it, mock you. That's fine. That's for them to do. It's out of your control. If there is a, you've put in your written record into history. Hey, here's my image. Here it is in writing. Here's yeah. a timestamp on it. It's out there. I'm not being ambiguous about this. You guys do what you want with it. And you kind of have to exercise your your humility in accepting that. Well, this is this is where it's going to be. But I said my piece. You can just say your piece.
1: BAM! <laughs> I mean, I just did a DMCA takedown, so that worked too.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Um, yeah, strike everything I said, strike my philosophy from the record, just nuke it from orbit. Less
1: eloquent, but it gets to the point. Right?
2: <laughs> modern modern problems require modern solutions. True. It is uh, wise to use all the tools in your toolkit. Uh, and if, say, if taking your ball and going home is one of those tools, well, that's punching up against that community. Yeah,
1: there you go. That's not bad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so as we as we said, this is a massive, massive topic that we are absolutely going to delve deeper into. I think we're going to touch a lot about uh, a lot on the vulnerability section as well, because we have some some topics to talk about there for sure. Um,
0: we got through about a third of our show notes today.
1: We got oh, about man. a third of our show notes. Okay, so maybe it's a three-parter. Look at
2: that. Um, we're ramping up. We
1: are ramping up. We're good. I mean, we keep adding to them, though, too, like in real time. So that's not helping anybody. <laughs> um, so maybe we should maybe we should have this be a, a close for today. And what we're going to pick up sure. in part two. Um, I do like to always end with... A final thought or a final question um so let's see aaron um my question for you is do you still carry your credo card in your wallet
2: my credo card um maybe <laughs> i'm telling on myself here what's that oh. did i get one in the mail
1: no oh, did so that i was lose a, it when i see moved that was an apple joke that i guess you know maybe it was
2: oh yeah oh that one's lost to me but you know what <laughs> on my table are a um, Yeti mug and a ballpoint pen with Apple's branding on it. Uh, well, one was free, okay. one I bought. So <laughs> that should tell you, uh, that should tell you enough.
1: I guess I told on myself a little bit more then because I think I carried I my credo card for a couple of years after I left the company. But anyway, um, yeah. So my real question for you is what are your, <laughs> what are your final thoughts or your leading thoughts for part two that you could give to those going out and doing documentary and street photography?
2: Yeah, my leading thoughts. And I mean, all I have to go with here is my, uh, you know, to quote Boz Lerman, my own meandering experience should be taken with a grain of salt. The recurring theme I found uh, doing street photography, attending to vulnerability, uh, even doing commercial or highly structured studio work, what applies throughout is empathy. You are a storyteller. You've chosen the camera as your medium and your tool to tell a story. And any story worth telling in my opinion, or until I change my mind is one that leads with humanistic values. Those are values I carry even when I'm not kind of in an actively photographing headspace. Um, Empathy, harm reduction, uh, reaching out, you know, extending a hand instead of looking for a confrontation. It it all centers for me around um, empathy and just this recurring sense of applying humanistic ethics to my art and to my photography because I I feel a moral obligation to apply them consistently throughout every other aspect of my life. Picking up a camera doesn't make me any more privileged or entitled than if I'm just trying to be the best person in the world that I can be.
1: Excellent. I love it. David, what's your final thought or leading question?
0: I guess to ask a question without Starting to dive into the next set of topics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talked a lot in this about doing the right thing, whether it's interpersonal or more on the professional side with the usage and stuff like that. But that in and of itself can sometimes it to be a gray area as you've talked about what is the right thing is is it like an in the moment thing when you make the decision or is it more of a strict i'm going out i am
2: not going to do these things for the kind of the grayer area it is a i think continuous journey to develop a sensitivity towards it you can go out with your baseline um ethical standpoint and your baseline moral compass but you can't predict what's going to happen once you leave the door or go out onto the street so being able to read the room and read the scene and respond appropriately i think is big uh you will make mistakes i make mistakes in this regard constantly um misreading a situation or misreading the room but it is the persistent and intentional act of trying just do a little bit better than you did yesterday Um, If you make a mistake or you read a situation incorrectly, be honest. Uh, If there's an apology to be made, apologize. If it's better that you leave, leave. Take the L and uh, carry on and be a little bit better tomorrow.
1: I think that's well said. Um, I usually have like a nonsensical quip to end with my final thought, but this is too (laughs) important of a topic um, for my bad jokes. So I think we should just end it with that. Um, But it's not an end because we're going to do it again uh, next week. Maybe will be part two of this, um, but we're going to delve into this much deeper. So I want to say thank you to Aaron um, for being with us today. um, And we'll see you again very soon. And um, if you guys have any questions, that you want us to address or any thoughts about what we said already please put them in the comments on the youtube or come into the discord and let's have a conversation so that part two of this will be more enriching for everybody and we can really hit the points that need to be hit
2: sounds good to me and i am super thankful for you chelsea and david for having me on the podcast Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying the discussion and I'm looking forward to part two and maybe to be continued. (laughs) We'll see how it goes.
1: great well thank you guys very much for listening as always um ah, no beer today look at that is that like an ethical thing or just a laziness thing yeah i have no um i guess <laughs> if i were to have a random cheap beer as a sponsor today it would probably be Efes because that's like the one turkish beer so <laughs> that's the one i've been having so we'll say that that i have one here it's imaginary today and um thank you david as always and we will see you guys for part two next time